0: This morning's reading comes from the book of Genesis. The Lord God took the human and settled him in the Garden of Eden to farm it and to take care of it. The Lord God commanded to the human, "'Eat your fill from all of the garden's trees, but don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, because on the day you eat from it, you will die.' Then the Lord God said, It's not good that the human is alone. I will make him a helper that is perfect for him. So the Lord God formed from the fertile land all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky and brought them to the human to see what he would name them. The human gave each living being its name. The human named all the livestock, all the birds in the sky, and all the wild animals. But a helper perfect for him was nowhere to be found. So the Lord God put the human into a deep and heavy sleep and took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh over it. With the rib taken from the human, the Lord God fashioned a woman and brought her to the human being. The human said, this one is finally bone from my bones and flesh from my flesh. She will be called a woman because from a man she was taken. Amen. All right, good morning again, everyone.
1: We are um, in our final week of our very brief little series on play. And as we are headed into the season of Lent, which will start this Wednesday with Ash Wednesday, um, we are gonna be reflecting on, um, we're gonna be reflecting on some more serious and sometimes more tender topics. And so it feels especially important to remain open and alive to play and to the aspects of ourself that were given to us to resource us in this big and complicated world. Today we have this beautiful story, this origin story, this mythology of our tradition about where human beings came from. Now for those of you who don't know, Genesis actually has two creation stories back-to-back that disagree on details. This is one of the greatest pieces of evidence for me that they are not meant to be taken literally but that they contain truth, understanding in a way that can be communicated only through story and poetry. There is an artistry to our creation stories that we have to appreciate in order to fully uncover their meaning. And in this story, we have a creative God, an experimental God, a God who's not entirely sure what they're doing. Now, in the first creation story in Genesis 1, we have a God who knows exactly what they're doing. And then there was light, right? Let it be so. But in this version, we have a God who is experimenting, who is, I don't know, maybe playing, You can imagine the God of all creation with Plato in their fingers being like, what should I make next? We have the first human, the Adam, rendered here with he, him pronouns, but that's really anachronistic to this story because it's like the first person, the clay person, the earthling. Adam comes from the words we have for earth, for dirt, for the clay of the soil beneath us. And so, this is the Plato person, right? We have this Plato person, we have this creature, and God says, come play with me. God's whole project of creation is an act of play in my telling of this story. And so we have a God who is playing, experimenting, making a little person and saying, hey, I've animated you. God could have left the Plato shape on its own, but we have in the longer telling of this story God breathing God's very breath into the clay and animating it, giving a part of this creation a piece of themselves, a piece of divinity, so that this part, this little person, could create alongside them. And we have an image of a God who chose to create collaborators co-conspirators playmates and so God made this first person and said okay I see though that like you're not exactly like me you need someone to play with you let's try let's figure it out I'll give you birds I'll give you fish I'll give you all of the wild animals but none of it felt quite right none of it was enough And so while the little clay person had tremendous fun naming all of the animals, looking at them, pointing and saying, I see you, this is who you are, none of them was a proper playmate. That word helper I know has been weaponized against women. Let me make a helper for you, says God. But the word that that comes from, is used in other passages to describe who God is to humanity. This helper could be understood in some contexts as a savior. I help you, I save you, I am with you. And so I see in this word, in this idea, the desire that God has for us that we might interact with each other in some of the ways that God interacts with us. Who can be with you in this? Who can really show up for you the way that I show up for you? Who can be your co-conspirator? Who can be your playmate? And God says, I will make you playmates for each other. You need more of you. You need someone who experiences the world, the creation I have made just like you, so I will take flesh of your flesh and bone of your bone, and there will be more of you. Have you, has anyone here ever been alone and working on a project, thinking, I wish there was someone I could just talk to? I wish there was someone I could brainstorm with. I wish there was something I could, someone I could bounce an idea off of. Have you ever had the thought of what it might be like to just double yourself so that you could talk to yourself? You've got great ideas. But somehow, when you're alone in a room, you can't quite access all of them. And yet, if there were two of you, I imagine God saying to the first human being, hey, actually, there is something inherent about me, your creator, I've given you my image, my nature, my character. I'm this weird three-in-one situation. I'm the God, the Father, the Holy Spirit, the Son. I got a lot going on. I am one. And yet, many. I contain multitudes. I can access those multitudes. I am relational in nature. I discover my creativity in conversation. I can do that with myself. But you, little clay person, I must split you into many parts so that you can converse with yourself, so that you can play with yourself, so that you can conspire with yourself and therefore me. And thus, we have humanity. Many pieces of God's image split up into so many different forms and shapes and perspectives, all flesh of the same flesh, bone of the same bone, offered to one another as co-conspirators, as playmates, as people who can be in conversation together, dreaming up whatever it is we are called to create and build next with our Creator. You see, God didn't just create a playground in the garden. God filled it with playmates and said, go play. Play with each other. Play with me. Let us dream. Let us build. Let us imagine. And so we have this this image, this picture, this story of our very origin saying, hey, we were made by a creative, inventive God to collaborate and imagine. And then we were formed into community because God knew that playing by yourself is fun, but playing with friends has so many more possibilities. Human beings were made to play, and we were made to play with each other. Now, we see in childhood development stages of being able to play, these different developmental levels of play that we can form and understand over time. Every one of these types of play holds value. And we start from the very beginning There is a type of play called unoccupied play. This is the way that we play when we are zero to three months. This is simply moving, understanding our own senses for the first time, moving our limbs or moving our eyes, moving the breath through our lungs. That is considered play. We are engaging with the world around us. It's as though. In this garden that God has made, we are koi fish swimming in the pond. That is our form of play. We are simply experiencing the sensory world around us. Typically, beyond unoccupied play comes solitary play. Solitary play is when children begin to develop a a manner of interacting with the world just by themselves. They have a kind of focus that comes as they touch things and stack things and push things over. They will move their bodies in greater and greater ways. They will explore the world around them. This is solitary play. Typically, as children age, then they go on to onlooker play. This is where kids start to notice that they're not the only ones playing. But there are other players in the world. And they start to just observe. How does everyone else play? What are they doing? What's so fun about that? After onlooker play, you start to get into these next stages of playing with playmates. We have something lovely called parallel play. Parallel play is when children are playing by and near and around each other. Everyone playing and delighting, but in their own vein, in their own path. They can observe one another, but not necessarily join one another. When, when researchers talk about the importance of parallel play, they talk about how parallel play is the beginning of developing empathy. Parallel play is doing something along someone else, alongside someone else, and wondering what that feels like to them. Parallel play is linked with the development of recognizing emotions and understanding, essentially, that there's a whole person over there. There's a whole nother world. There's a whole nother clay figure. There's a whole nother Adam right over there, playing alongside me you start to understand the concept of sharing resources. I may be playing with something now, but if I stop and I play with something else, maybe one of the other kids in the area picks it up. And I understand that not all of the things in the world are mine exclusively. This can be a struggle in learning to play. But playing alongside others, exploring the world together in this way, develops in us a capacity to say, the universe that is inside of me has, has a corresponding universe inside of this person and this person and this person and our world, which was already infinite inside of us, infinitely expands. And we discover so much more of creation From there, we cannot be content to simply know that there are universes, multitudes, contained in our playmates who are on their own tracks. Now, most of us want to associate. So we enter the stage of associative play, where there is interest in both the activity of play and the other player. Now, this is a sort of tentative association. Right? It's engaging, but not organized. It's touching in, but then being able to step out again. There's no common goal or strategy, merely points of contact as we explore what it means to play with other players. Kids start to learn communication, but also boundaries, that this other little person has a point at which You know, we end and they begin. And so we say, I have to learn to respect that I can't simply barge into your universe, but I must ask permission. I must engage with you on your terms. And so we start through this play to learn how to relate to each other. And then many of us reach the final stage of developmental play, which is cooperative play. This is where the interest in the activity and the interest in the other children are matched. And now we are playing together because playing together has become a common goal. This is when we start to organize around projects and strategies. We do set goals and purposes, not the worldly purposes, not productive purposes, but maybe our purpose is to build the tallest tower we can before it falls down. In this organized type of play we are learning compromise we're learning collaboration we're learning self-confidence and i thought this was really striking in the research we're learning independence now it may seem strange to say that we learn independence through collaboration but what we discover is the angles on our own universe when we can put our universe into collaboration with another and another and another. We discover who we are, what our limits and our capacities are when we join forces with so many other unique individuals. And we say, what can we be together? And what can I be on my own? This is where we start to get imaginative play. When you see kids saying, let's play school, I'll be the teacher. Let's play restaurant. I'll make the food. You can see it going beyond recreating experiences of their life when they start to play unicorns or sea monsters. And when I see this, this very natural progression that many human beings go through as they develop in their capacities, I see the way that we move, from insular human beings exploring the nearest edges of our environment into being collaborative, imaginative prophets of a future beyond the world we have. We are called by God not just to move and live in this world, but to play with it, to create it and co-create it with God, to imagine and reimagine it, to say, these are the rules I've been given, but I don't like those rules. Those rules seem to be hurting someone. What could we do about it? And not just to disconnect and say that's someone else's problem, but to say, hey, I contain multitudes. You contain multitudes. We are on the same team, same blood, same flesh, same creator, same capacity for imagination. Let us build a different world. We've talked a little bit in this series about what happens when we are grown up and cultured out of our capacity for creative play. But what if the most natural prophets among us are six years old? What if the most natural prophets among us are the ones who have remained connected to their inherent God-given capacity for imaginative, collaborative, cooperative play? To say, we can build anything we want. We can dream anything we need. Let us do that together. Sometimes when we are trying to imagine a world and we are doing it under duress because we are so beaten down, so broken by the oppressive systems of this world, we feel absolutely unable to connect with that. How will we ever get out from under policing, prisons, and surveillance? How will we ever get out from under white supremacy culture? How will we ever dismantle patriarchy, misogyny? It can be hard to imagine. And yet, that is one of the first and most fundamental gifts that we were given. Our imagination, our capacity for play, our gift for bringing new things into being, first and foremost, through a collective vision that we discover just by interacting with each other maybe without a purpose, without an explicit, productive goal? What if our best shot at creating a new and just and verdant world is by laying down all of the urgency for a moment and just playing and imagining with one another? How could we build and cultivate and resurrect the garden? What kind of play are we made for? And once we remember and imagine and iterate on that, we have the kinds of play spaces and connections that allow us to build strategies to topple empires. When I ask you to engage in play, it is for its own sake. You are made to play. You are made to play alone, solitary play. You are made to play alongside, parallel play. And you are made to play with one another, collaborative play. You don't need to do this for any purpose. This is what you were made for, to play with each other, to play with God, to play on your own, to play with creation. And if we want to do all the other stuff that we want to do, change the world, heal ourselves, topple empires, construct new ways of being in community where everyone gets taken care of. We can't do that without doing what is fundamental to us. We cannot build a better world until we remember the world we were given, the world we were made for, the playground of the garden, and seek out one another as good and faithful playmates. So capitalism might tell you that whenever you are failing to be productive, whenever you are ignoring your purpose, whenever you are being lazy or distractible, that those are terrible things. But you know what? Those are fundamentally human, God-given things. We are made to dawdle. We are made to daydream. We are made to play and imagine. You are being holy. You are probably more whole in the moments when you forget your quote unquote purpose than when you are checking every item off your to-do list. So how can we, as collaborators, as co-conspirators, as holy playmates, hold that space for one another? Find and give the gift of play to each other. How can the Zao community hold play space? as a fundamental purpose? And what might that change about how we are called and able to transform the world? We're gonna have a little bit of a dreaming activity later in the service. So I want you to get your gears turning because those are real questions that I want you to think about answering. How can play transform your life and your community by rooting you in who you exactly are? and giving you access to that whole universe, not only inside you, but inside every person you meet. Will you pray with me? Good and holy God, we play. Please remind us who we are. Root us in your goodness and your image. God, be at play with us. Help us to find our playful spirits even when they've been buried under years and years of bad messaging. God, may we lay down the lies and falsehoods that have separated us from our core creative selves. May we be inspired. May we co-conspire. May we collaborate towards a kind of rebellious joy. May we remember the garden and imagine the next one. Amen.